Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Andy Richter here, uh, and I'm here today with Gene Triplehorn, uh, who we have been uh, enjoying your work for a while now. You have been you have, you've been keeping working. That's not easy in this business. No, I'm fairly consistent. I, yeah, I've dropped yeah. out a couple of times, but yeah, fairly. Now, consistent. when when you dropped out, is it on purpose? Like, are there children mm-hmm. involved and things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's the, a healthy dropout. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sometimes you need to. Um, and not even for kids. No, I mean, when I grew up, my mom always instilled the mental health day. There were times that she would let me stay home from school because you're having a mental health day. That's so great. <laughs> That's nice that she had language for it, too, because we, yeah. just, we just called it playing hooky. And yeah, it was just, it was just, well, then, it, then it developed. I, my <laughs> mental health days as a teenager became hooky. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Which she did not know about the private mental health days. Right. Exactly. Now you're from Tulsa originally, right? Yeah. Tulsa, and do, you, do you still have a lot of family back there? Not so much. You know, as the years go by, my parents are both gone, but I definitely have my uncle and some cousins and um, some really good friends. Yeah. So I go back. I try to go back. I mean, since COVID, it kind of blew everything out of the water. So I haven't, it's been, it's been about three years since I've been back, but yeah, I think it's important. Did you have so, an, a- did you have an accent you had to lose? I did. Yeah, I did. And so now when I, when I drink or if I'm yeah. really tired, it doesn't even really come back now as much at all. But uh, it it comes back easily. But yes, yeah. I did. I had I had quite an accent. Yeah, that is that is one of the amazing effects of alcohol. Is yes, you know, <laughs> returning to one's original patois. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what did you, was Tulsa a good place to grow up? It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic place to grow up, and. Um, yeah, I uh, born and raised there, and um, left when I was about twenty-two. Mm-hmm. And your dad, New York. your dad's a musician, right? Yeah. Is that how he made his living? You know, throughout yeah. your youth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Always. So yeah, you're, you're in kind of a you know what I think. Well, Tulsa, Tulsa's a nice city, but it's still kind of a conservative bastion. 
It is. Tulsa, yeah. yeah, but Tulsa's a great kind of mix because you've got the conservatives, you've got, you know, the Christians, the conservative Christians and the fundamentalists. And then it had, you know, this music scene that, you know, the Tulsa sound is, has this incredible musical, this incredible music history that my dad was a part of. He was one of the founding members of the Tulsa sound along with, you know, J.J. Kale and Leon Russell and... I mean, he was in high school with Leon Russell and some oh, of the wow. greatest musicians around. Um, I'm trying to think like, you know, Jimmy Carstein and um, uh, Carl Radel, who's a bass player on yeah, yeah. You know, Derek and the Dominoes. And um, just like this, just an incredible music history. And he wasn't really in my life so much. He was definitely a musician and all that that meant. And he was on the road and um, my, my parents were really young when they had me. So he, he was still so in his oats when I was little. Mm. So I only saw him twice a year, but you know, uh, I would always try to sneak in clubs later on, you know, when he was playing because the, the club scene in Tulsa was really great. And um, the rock, you know, the rock scene there. So I was always trying to sneak into clubs to see my dad and yeah. Um, and then later on, I became a DJ at a rock radio station there, which was really fun. Um, and did that seriously for, you know, many years. So that's, I, I, I mean, it sounds like there's, you know, creative weirdness going on, at least. Did you? The best creative weirdness. That's yeah. a, that is a great way to, that's yeah. a great way to say it. Yeah, because Oklahoma, you know, like, it's always amazing to me that, like, uh, the guy, Wayne, I can't remember his last name, from the Flaming Lips. Oh, yeah, Wayne, just been in Oklahoma. Coin? Yeah, Coin, exactly. Yeah. It's always been in Oklahoma City. And it's just, yeah. you think, like, so, you know, just, and it's, you don't think of that. You know, you think that all the kind of iconoclast weirdos are, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a victim of the Beatles came out of Liverpool. Of right, yeah. right. You know what I mean? So but they didn't did. stay there. You know what they I mean? They didn't stay there. No, that's right. I didn't stay there. I didn't. Yeah, stay you didn't stay there. Yeah. But and a lot of people didn't. I mean, Leon, he moved, you know, after a certain point. I think Wayne, God bless him, you know, God bless him that he's, yeah. you know, holding court there. Yeah. But I, but I feel like, um, yeah, a lot of these smaller towns are where weirdness breeds. And I, I remember moving to New York years later. And I could handle, I could handle any weirdness. I was living on the Lower East Side. I was going to acting school and I could handle a lot. And I feel like Tulsa really prepared me because it got weird in Tulsa. Like, <laughs> it, and it got extreme. And people would laugh like, you're from Tulsa? It's like, oh, you guys, you're not serving up anything I haven't tasted before. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so does it feel, though, like when you're, when you're part of a scene... Well, I mean, because, I mean, was your, did your mom have a creative bent to her? She did. I mean, she, she wrote on the side. She was a writer, but she was a school teacher. Mm. She taught fourth grade, second grade. But did, uh, and did you have siblings? I did. Yeah, I I have my brother, Jason. He's um, a drummer and um, computer artist uh you know electronic artist in austin he moved to austin yeah 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 austin's but, um, the other center of of sort of southern western weirdness and he was in the um punk 
scene, the sort of hardcore scene in Tulsa when he was a teenager and into his 20s before he moved to Austin. And there was a huge hardcore scene. So I, I, I mean, I, I had it all. Yeah. It was great. Did you now did that? Did you fit in in, in like high so. school as a kid? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, I did not fit into high school so much. I mean, I had my friends, but as far as the popular kids, they didn't know what to think of me because at mm-hmm. the time um, I was at the time I was. Um, well, I was the youngest DJ, female DJ in America. And wow. uh, they did wow. not know I was, according to radio and records. That's awesome. Gonna, How old was, were you? Uh, I think I was around 15. And, wow. Yeah. At a commercial radio station. KMOD in Tulsa, Oklahoma. How does that come about? Um, Well, I started and I think when I was 12 or 13 years old, I used to call into a radio station and I would play different characters. You know, they would have call-ins and it was definitely, you know, AM radio. Hi, you're on the air. (laughs) Right, right, right. It was was KAKC. And he was the sweetest guy. And I would, you know, we didn't have anything else to do so i'd go over to my girlfriend's house and we would just spend our all our time dialing in and he finally figured out that these people that he was talking to was actually coming the, from the same two girls the same two girls and so i started to become characters that he would appear on his show and then he i mean god love him he was so sweet he said well if you want to come and learn about radio come visit me well my mom she would wait outside and and let me go to the radio station and hang out with him and he showed me you know all the the knobs this was you know the old days and he would yeah, show yeah. me all the the equipment and um so i started to get my license my fcc license because you had to have one back then right right and the month i want to say the month that i was about to take it they you know they went away with those rules so i didn't have right. to have it and my mom, yeah, because you I, know, you had to know how to work the equipment in the old days. Yes, like oh, they yeah. expected you to know how to actually you do were the an broadcasting. Engineer. Yeah, wow. You were part engineer, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I was ready. I mean, I studied for it, and then, um, and then I was talking with my mom, and I just said, I, you know, I need a job, and I don't want to be a waitress, and I don't. Mm-hmm. She said, well. Uh, she said, you should just pursue, you know, radio. And, and I listened to KMOD, which was the big rock station and still is in Tulsa. And she, uh, and I said, I could never, I mean, that's, it's KMOD. And, um, and it was very free form rock then, you know, it yeah, was yeah. very like FM, the, rain, yeah, yeah. the rainbow station, deep cuts, you know, yeah. oh, deep cuts, you yeah. know, and, uh, iron butterfly and a got to be and all that. <laughs> and that's um, only, that's only when you had to go to the bathroom. That's when you, <laughs> Oh, I've got a list of great bathroom songs, <laughs> not to mention free bird. The yeah. Version. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and, and it got a Davida, and uh, there was uh, in Stranglehold. Ted Nugent was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately now, all, yeah, all yeah, yeah, sorts of reasons. Oh, yeah. That's, no, it's so sad when it goes I, that way. I know, I know, because he does have. There's a. He's got a couple of songs that fucking rock. And it's like snakeskin cowboys, but just you really, can't, yeah, you know, just does it takes the fun away from it. it no more fun. Yeah, you, you yeah. went out, you had to go and ruin it. Yeah, yeah. Kill it and grill it. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so I, I applied and I got a part-time position at KMOD and it was the greatest job in the world. And then that rolled into, by the time I graduated from high school, I still didn't know what I want to do. I went to, you know, University of Tulsa, but I was also still working at the radio station and I quit college. I, I quit uh, TU about um, the first semester in, and they offered me the morning show, which at the time it, I was going up against all the old standard, you know, uh, talk radio traffic, mm-hmm. you know, the morning shows. I was in morning um, in competition, and we were bought by Clear Channel Communications back yeah. in the early days. And Jeff Pollock became our uh, consultant. So I, so I was there when we went from freeform radio into having consultants, and all of a sudden, our you couldn't play what you wanted to play anymore, which was kind of a drag because that was right. half of the half personality. Of the yeah, 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 you got to play what you wanted to play, and um, oh, it was great. It was and a great job. Did you sound like a fifteen-year-old, or did you have no? A, you had no, the pipes, and so nobody, boy. nobody really knew. No, no, yeah. no. I was very, it was very low and very, very FM. And were no you static Jean, at all. Were you, <laughs> were you Jean Triplehorn? Or, no, uh, I was Jeannie Summers. Jeannie Summers. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, how could you be Jean Triplehorn? You know, and like on the, you know. It was such Jeannie a great Summers. job. And I had the greatest boss. His name was Charlie West. And, um, he was so patient because I was so young and I was still like, I was 18 years old, barely when I moved yeah, in the yeah. morning. And so I would be going out until three in the morning to all these great Tulsa clubs. And, um, and it was also the eighties. So I wasn't really sort of into rock and roll. I was very, you know, into Adam and, and in new excess wave. and yeah. new wave. Me too. Same. Wave. Yeah. So I'd be at all the clubs until three in the morning. And then I had this, there was a, a woman that was on before me, the overnight shift, uh, Teresa, and she would give me a wake up call in the morning to, in order to come on the air at six o'clock. And, and I had this news guy, his name was Matt. And, um, one morning and, and she kind of got tired of it because there were a couple of times that I was late and she would have to stay beyond her shift, which she'd yeah. already been on for six hours. And so Charlie said to Teresa, he said, Next time she does this, you put on a record and just go, just leave. So one morning, you know, the phone was ringing. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll be there. And I fell fell back asleep. And then I woke up. I was supposed to be on the air at 6, and it was 6.20. And I I went, oh, my God, she hasn't called. And I turn on the radio, and all I hear is, oh, shit. I just hear the needle. And I got in my car and I bolted to the radio station and I would have been fired except for my news guy, Matt, for the first time in his life had overslept. So I learned how to, <laughs> how to not be late. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good people management though, to let you kind of, you know. He knew. I mean, I was yeah. so young and it was just, he wanted. And how mortifying it would be to turn on the radio and hear the clicking of, a, of, well, the I of just, an LP. I slid into my seat and I acted, I was like a cat. I didn't mean, you know, I meant to do that. I right. literally slid into my seat, seat, put on my headphones, turned on the microphone. And that was Bob Seger on KMOD. <laughs> like nothing had ever happened. <laughs> we got traffic coming up in just a minute. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it, it also sounds job. like it also sounds like you were lucky too because I mean, I know a little bit about the radio business and it's kind of full of creeps. And for an 18-year-old female to be at a radio station, oh, it was the it was the early days of hashtag Me Too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it I really was. Imagine, it was a yeah. minefield. Yeah. It was a minefield because I and, was also hanging out with the rock stars that would come to town. So, oh, right, of course. But, but again, Charlie, my program director, was very protective, and you know, you had to watch me every second because. Right. It was crazy. I mean, yeah, it really yeah. was. I'm I'm not going to out anybody, but it was crazy. Right. Do you develop uh, defensive skills pretty quickly that way? Charm. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah. Small Oklahoma charm. Yeah. Charm. Human. Oh, you silly thing. Right yeah, 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 yeah. That's oh, right. boy. Yeah. Charm. Well, what? Now, why aren't, why am I not talking to a DJ then? Well, I mean, you probably are. Like, I mean, but you know. but no, I mean, like no, I mean, like a current DJ. Why? Why did what? What kept you? I mean, from such early success in radio, why did not that not continue? I just didn't. I mean, there was that. What is the David Bowie? I am a DJ. I am what I play. I mean, I yeah. just it wasn't creative enough for me. I, mm. I could only. I you know, I I did characters on my morning show. You know, I was really an actor at heart. I I love to perform. And while I was doing this, by the way, I don't know how I did it. I was also acting at night and I was doing like plays uh, around town and things. Yep. And I had a TV show that I would tape during the day. I, I, I worked. What the what? I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. When I moved to New York, I honestly, I was, I was on vacation. I, I, (laughs) I had worked so hard. Right. You were Tulsa's media darling. Yeah. I really was. I, I, and Tulsa was so great to me, which is why I love it. They, they just laughed at everything I did and accepted everything I did. And, and everywhere I went, you know, Hey Jeannie, it's still when I go back if you know, people are so kind because I was everywhere. I I was in the morning. I was on, I had a TV show at night and I did characters and, and right up until I left, I mean, I did this TV show. We used the ABC sports truck. It was on our ABC affiliate and we had local bands. It was very much like Saturday Night Live. In fact, they said, if you beat Saturday Night Live locally in the ratings, you will continue. So, you know, and then, of course, right before I left for New York, they pulled me into the office and they said, we have good news and we have bad news. The good news is you replace Saturday Night Live and you beat Saturday Night Live locally. But the bad news is we're replacing you with Westerns. And and I moved like four months later. I moved to New York. Wow. That's really incredible. So you were a celebrity then. You must have gotten somewhat used to like, you know, having meals interrupted and, you know, and not being able to the grocery store. I mean, did you, you know, was it, you know, because I mean, when you're looked at, I mean, you're probably familiar with what it's like where you do feel a little bit sort of on your guard or... I, I don't know. Everybody's always been very nice to me. I don't know. Yeah. They were nice then and and they've been nice ever since. So I'm, I kind of, I don't have a Pollyanna attitude. I mean, not everybody's nice, but yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, knock on wood. I, I, everybody's, I, I sort of, everybody's been very kind. 
That's nice. Great. And then and in Oklahoma, they were just lovely. You know, hey, darling. Oh, that yeah. was funny yesterday. I got a seat for you. Come on over here. I mean, it was just, just home. That's wonderful. That's really great. Because then I imagine, like you say, going to New York is kind of easy then. You know, you're oh, going. Oh, my God. You know, it's like having a, a a loving family, all the benefits that that gives you out in the world. And the experience. Yeah. I mean, my, my work experience uh, just pre- it prepared me. Tulsa prepared me for everything still to this day, you know, thinking on my feet. And I, it's funny because I don't think people realize I have this arsenal in my pocket of, of you know, what I did there that I could still do, but people, that's the one thing about when you have a certain amount of success is people pigeonhole you, you know, this is just horrible. So I don't think people really realize what I did. They have no idea. I don't really talk about it. Yeah. Do you ever consider doing something like, you know, was a daytime talk show ever talked about or, do you have any no, interest in like this no. wonderful world of podcasting? Um, no, I still like to perform and I like to be characters. I mean, when I came to Los Angeles, I went to New York, lived on the Lower East Side, did that whole thing and went to Juilliard. And then I started doing movies and I came to Los Angeles. I had a little bit of that Tulsa when I did um, – you know, bits on the Ben Stiller show, uh, did characters doing that. And I, that was hearkening back to what I used to do. Yeah. Um, when you went to New York, what, I mean, what were you, what was your plan? What did you see yourself doing in New York? What was I the- wanted to go to acting school because uh-huh. when I was in Tulsa about a year before I left, I was doing theater at night. I was on that thing and I was, doing theater at night and I was in the lobby of the theater and they had, I don't know, one of those theater, theater wing magazine or something. And it was, and the cover was the educated actor because this was the era of Kevin Klein and Meryl Streep Mm. and they all, you know, went to Yale and, and uh, so I thought, huh, I should, I mean, I, I tried to I, I I flew to New York. I auditioned to be a VJ on MTV. I you know I I tried to get out of Tulsa doing what I had been doing in variations like you know I loved MTV so I thought oh I'll be a VJ and and that was the greatest job I never got and um and then I thought well I'll I'll move and I'll do radio in LA and that'll help support me to be an actor so I came to Los Angeles I. I went to New York and I met with these radio stations and didn't work. So I thought, okay, then I'm, then I'm just going to go back to, I'm going to go to school and I'm going, if I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be the best actor I can be. And I'm going to be an educated actor. So I saved up my money and um, left the radio station. I put on, she's leaving home by the Beatles. That was my last (laughs) song. Well, Cliche, I know. And, well, uh, no, I, I know. You know uh, it's a little uh, on the nose. It's yes, the good, nose. good. I was going to say goodbyes are always on the nose. There's no <laughs> yeah. subtlety in goodbyes. Could have been Toto, goodbye, girl, or whatever right. those songs. Anyway, <laughs> um, girl, goodbye. Or, um, but um, so then I um, moved to New York. I lived on the Lower East Side 
And I, or in the East Village, I lived in the East Village and moved in with uh, Teresa, who had been, um, she did overnight at the radio station. She had moved to New York. And um, so I lived with her and um, I auditioned for Juilliard three weeks later. And then I found out a month later that I got in. So I started Juilliard in September. That's uh, 86. Oh, my God. Was that was the acting that you had done before that had it was that based on acting classes or was it just sort of started with school and sort of spread into? Yeah, it was instinctual. Yeah, totally instinctual. I just I just did it. And and I loved it, but I did. I wasn't skilled. I didn't have a technique. I didn't have it was just blind. It was just. It was nerve wracking. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was really, you just didn't know. I mean, we could talk all the acting techniques, but there was no motivation. There was no, there were no, uh, I just stepped out on stage and I mean, I got into it. I loved it, yeah. but um, there was no skill set. Right. I, I did not have a method. I didn't have a technique. I didn't have an education. Was it, was that, a, I mean, did you, were you intimidated by that, by the process of technique? I was and, terrified. I was yeah. terrified. And really, you know, a little bit of an imposter syndrome, but not really. No, I, I take that back. But I was nervous. I was really in a whole new competitive, uh, it was New York. It was, uh, and and also when you're in acting class, you know, having to get up, it's very intimate. And I think the intimacy of an acting class, just, uh, we, we laugh. I'm still very good friends with so many people from that uh, class. Um, uh, especially Laura Lenny um, and I are still oh, yeah. the best of friends. I saw and- that you guys do Peloton rides together. That was in part of my research. Was it? Wow. Yes, it well, we was. haven't done that since COVID, but yes. <laughs> I wish she would do more with me and Laura, if you're listening. Um, but uh, she still laughs because I would, you know, you would have to do these exercises and I would just walk in front of the class and burst into tears. I was just crying. I cried my way through Juilliard because I was terrified. I was always <laughs> terrified. <laughs> What is an like? What is what does an acting teacher do with a student that just gets up and cries? Just you know, they start looking at their notes. Like just, it's like a storm. It's like a cloud that'll pass. Wow! Yeah, here she goes. (laughs) Here she goes. All right. Okay. And you know, they'll send somebody else up. Gene, you want to sit out this one? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Tim, get on up there. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? 
Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Did you uh did you feel like your your peers, like your fellow students were more advanced than you like they had already oh, learned yeah. this language and stuff yeah yeah there were a lot of them that had a lot of experience going into yeah. it i mean i had experience but it was raw it was just raw yeah yeah but yes now, did, there were was there any it. point where was there a point at which you started to feel like you know because i i mean the naturalistic approach to acting is a very valid way that a lot of people work did you ever start to kind of feel where you got to hang for the technique and then thought like hey you know eh, technique's nice but you know i could also just be me like did you did you find out like going back to the way you initially did it was sort of working too yeah i i was really at odds a lot of people are actually because at the time you know there was the julia the the actor who's got their enunciation and i Mm -hmm. really I really bucked against uh, that because for that very reason, I I just thought this isn't how real people talk, but they were preparing you really for the stage. So they wanted you to be heard. And I did, I had one great teacher and he said, I I really don't, I I don't want to push you because I don't want you to lose this other aspect of your personality and, 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 your reality. I don't want you to lose that while you're trying to, to push the sound out and become an actor. I just, I, I, I really fought against becoming a master thespian. That was my yeah. biggest fear. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I locked horns with some of the faculty and I was a little scrappy. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I mean, I'm a very, uh, my, uh, my, my training is all improv. Yeah, uh, and then, which I would love, by the way. I would love. It I gives think it's an uh, incredible skill. It gives you nerve. It gives you poise. You know, it gives you sort of like feet firmly planted because you mm-hmm. can, if you get used to doing, if you get used to doing shows where you know you're going to be on stage for an hour, 90 minutes, and you don't have no idea what you're going to say, and then you just get to where that's okay and you can do that. You can do you anything. You kind of can. So yeah. that's why, I, you know, when I have taken acting classes, I've always kind of felt like, I don't know. Don't you just, you know, you look at like this guy is, uh, you know, like a Nazi dentist. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to imagine what a Nazi de- <clears throat> what a Nazi dentist is like and act like that. Like, I, right. you know, and and I, I always kind of feel like I've had actually arguments 
with actor types because I have said in the past about acting, I said, it's like being a good liar. You know, you're not a Nazi a dentist. thousand percent. You know? You're so the just best trying, liar in the world. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, it's about truth. Like, not really, because you're not a Nazi dentist. You know, right. you're, yeah. you, you know, so but you're not being honest with yourself. You know, if you really, because, you know, you're not, you're just, it's the same thing as like when you're with friends and you, you decide, I don't know, you're going to like prank somebody and like go into a store and act like you have a French accent. Oh, so yeah. you, you just think about all the little micro moves that you can make to make this person believe that you really are this person, this French person. Absolutely. That, that to me, that's acting. You know, you just creatively thinking about little control, little, like I say, micro moves that make you believable. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, uh, but that's what I liked about this school because they didn't <clears throat> teach <throat> one particular technique. Like there's yeah. a whole method and I've since, you know, that's a whole conversation, but you know, I, I, I work best. That's how I like to work. I mean, it, which is just you create your own world and you live in that world. You just have to kind of give over to that world. Yeah, that to yeah. me is the most exciting thing to tr- kind of transcend and, you know, and, and go with that reality instead of, I think, you know, the method and pulling from yourself and all of that, that I, I just read this book recently, which is why I'm talking about it. It's called the method. And it's actually a fascinating book about the history of acting, the history of method acting and I definitely, when I closed it, I thought, well, I'm definitely not, you know, definitely <laughs> not, not, for me. That, not for not me. Not for me. Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless I was doing a stage show and I was on Performance 500, then yes, I'm going to start pulling <laughs> stories from the past to kind of right, help right. get me through the night. Right. But I love like that. I'm, I'm going to be a Nazi dentist and, you know, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the world and just go with it and believe it. It's but that's what I also love about improv is the yes and that mm-hmm. I love I love that technique, that concept of just going with what is given to you and yeah. running with it. Yeah. And then yeah. And that and it's very applicable in life too, that if you <clears throat> if yeah. you say yes to things, it opens doors rather than closing doors, you know. A, a thousand percent. Yeah. That was always when I was uh, you know, because it would be a very sort of mixed bag in terms of level of improv skill back in the old days. And I became, <laughs> there were a couple of groups when I was in where there were some people that weren't so, weren't so great, like maybe didn't pay attention in class or just didn't really grasp the material. And they would go on stage, they'd be brave and go on stage. And then everybody backstage would look at me like... <laughs> Like, like I was like I was the remedial improviser right. that would, you know, mm, right. um, but those kind of people, it was just you could just if you just smothered them with agreement, you you couldn't lose. You know, right. like it's like, uh, you know, you say like, you know, what can I do for you today? And they say, why are you talking to me like that, Bob? We've been married for 10 years. And you go. Oh, I don't know, honey. I just thought we we could, you know, spice up the, be- you know, you know, you just agree and agree and agree, uh-huh, and no uh-huh. matter how much they deny, and and it, you know, it's a all you improvisers out there, just kill them with kill them with agreement. Kill them with know? agreement, yeah. yeah and yeah. it is. It's a metaphor for life. That's true. Now, was uh, is Juilliard? Were you in part? Was this? 
like a trade thing or was this a bachelor's degree sort of thing? Uh, back then, um, it was just a diploma. They did have a bachelor's program. I think it's since changed. They had a bachelor's program, but I felt so sorry. Like the youngest people in our class got a bachelor's because clearly their parents were saying, no, we're not sending you to Juilliard. You have to get a degree. And, yeah, yeah. and there was no communication between the bachelor's department and Juilliard. So these poor people, you know, they, we would have some big presentation and their English department would throw a 500, you know, word or I don't know, you know a huge essay on them the night um, before. There was no, there was no communication. So, but now they yeah, do. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, I think you get a, a bachelor's degree. Just to make it livable too, and to sort of arrange the work. And applicable and to, yeah. yeah. And to be able yeah. to translate into the real world. Yeah. But I have a diploma. Now you, that's good. That's good. Just in case, you know, Just you need to case. go back to radio. Yeah. You know, you, yeah, got, ex- you got the. <laughs> Look. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. diplomat. I um, have. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point, like, do you, do you, do you know that you're going to be able to do this for a living while you're there? I mean, or does it, t- does it take a few actual jobs before you believe it? You mean back then or yeah, now? Back, back, back. <laughs> well, back, <laughs> back then. I mean, I know it's, there's always the doubt. Oh, there's always like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it never leaves you. It sure doesn't. Ya. It sure uh, doesn't. No, back then, um, I don't know. That's what's so great about youth. Yeah. Just, you just, you just believe it. You just yeah. go for it. And, yeah. and I was truly, I was, I was very, very lucky, uh, just things, but I was always, I don't know. I just was I just never stopped. I graduated from school and, you know, less than a week later, I was on a train down to Atlanta and I did this TV movie and yeah, I just, I, I just never stopped. I did plays at the public theater and then I started doing movies and just, it's what I do. That's what I do. How did you, when you started doing movies, uh, well, and I mean, I don't know, when you left Juilliard, did you, what kind of acting did you want to do? Theater? I wanted to do movies. Yeah. Yeah, they're different. They're different. And I wanted to do theater, and I did theater, right? When I got out, I did a couple of plays at the public, and and that was where I wanted to be. The public, you know, Joe Papp and the public theater was where I wanted to be. So I, I actually did theater. I, I, I would have been more than happy just doing theater, but the movies, you know, grabbed me and, and it seemed the most, you know, working in film and television was the most obvious choice for me. I was raised on movies. Um, I loved movies. I loved old Hollywood. I loved, yeah. I loved that. Yeah. It's, I, I do think, you know, it's. If it's, I'd grown it, up in New York, I would have wanted to do theater, you know. But yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it's have, just, yeah. yeah. Anywhere else, anywhere else, when you think of acting, you think of movies. Movies are the driving force. The same way. Yeah. Because I, you know, I went to film school and I ended up, and that was all, a, it was all just because I was kind of, and where did you grow up? 
I grew up in Illinois and I went to I went to film school in Chicago. I started out at University of Illinois in like just liberal arts and sciences. And yeah. I did the last two years in film school because I was drawn to film and I was drawn to like. But I, you know, they were it was all breakdowns of compromises of admitting that I really wanted to perform. Right. But that was, you know, but that was just too toot your own hornish, you know, so, yeah. uh, you know, so, it, and, you know, and in film school, I started acting in student films because nobody knows any actors. And if you're halfway decent, then you get in other student films. Right. Um, and then I started doing improv and, and, and it did, but I, I, I've done some kind of plays, but I don't really, it's like, that's not what I set out to do. You know, and it's, it's and it's not the kind of, too. yeah, and it's not the kind of acting I wanted to do either because well, it is a very different. And that's what I was, yeah, yeah, that's what I was coming up against at Juilliard, which was just how do you maintain this inner life and this this trans? I just call it kind of transcending, where you're, you know, this other character, but at the same time you're having to project, and it's an art. It's a, it is a talent. Yes. And and I, I, I did it, but it was, t- it was exhausting, you know, yeah. and I was always, uh, and I would do it again. I mean, I would love to do theater again, but um, it was really, it was a tightrope walking yeah. the, 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 the technique of, of, of what is, what do you call it? Um, what's the word? Projecting versus. Yeah. Being. being, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I did it. I did a movie because I mean, my my acting was all get a job and then go. Oh, okay, I guess I better come through here and do this, uh, right. and then learn on my feet about it. But like, I did a movie with Richard Gere, and we had a scene. It was a movie called Doctor T and the Women, a Robert Altman movie, which I oh my god, s- yeah, such a thrill that I Robert Altman oh. was truly. One of my heroes in film school, and then, uh, you know, I, the literally the phone rang one day. I knew that they were thinking of me for this thing. Phone rings. It's like, hey, Andy, it's Bob Altman. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Uh, but so I did this movie. Richard Gere's the star of it, and and we're supposed to be hunting buddies. And there's a scene that's kind of like a, it's like a low key sort of almost confessional kind of scene. So what and year was this? 19. This would have been about 19, well, no, like 99, 2000, something like that. Oh, my God. And, I have to go watch this. Yeah. It's okay. You know, it's, <laughs> I think so. I think some movies Robert Altman did just to keep the plate spinning. Right. Uh, you know, and, and then there was, you know, because. And some of those plates dropped. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it, it's very light. It's a very, yeah. it's a kind of ends up being feeling like a very light movie. You know, but then he does. His career was experimental, so yeah. But then he does Gosford Park. You know, two movies after that, right? Yeah, which is just, just every single tiny bit is just poised. And whereas this movie, just he was kind of like everybody do whatever you want, which is great, and it was a lot of fun. But you know, there's like 15 people in the cast, so that's you know, I mean, if you're throwing a party, that's great, and it movie is kind of like a party, but. Throw a um, camera on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we had this, like I say, it was this scene, we're in the woods, we're sort of, me and the two, it was four of us, and uh, 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 Richard Gears at one end and I'm at the other end, and he and I are having a conversation, and I could not hear a word the man said. 
throughout the entire day. We're doing this scene and I'm doing my lines. And then I just kind of could hear like, and I would stop when, you know, like I'd say my line when I would hear him stop talking. And I just thought like, this can't, this is, this can't be like good. And then, and then when I see the dailies of it, because that was a big thing. Everybody got together to watch the dailies. Yeah. I see the dailies and it's like, oh no, that's per, he's doing it perfect. He's a fucking, and, and you, it's not like you're just seeing like, oh no, he's doing it perfect. It's like, and he's a fucking movie star, like all caps movie star, like doing 10 times better than I was over there worrying about being heard. <laughs> and it just, and it was just like such a lesson of like, oh yeah, you don't have to do Anything. Much of anything because no. you're, you're you're acting for someone that's sitting right next to you, not that's for right. a, either it's a theater full of people, whether it's live or whether it's in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, a, you know, it's a big difference. And it's why theater acting, I always, you know, whenever people have asked, you know, it's like, I, and like I say, I have done some plays and they've been like, I was in a couple of David Sedaris things, which are really fun. Mm, yeah. Um, and not, you know, and they certainly aren't like, you know, you're not, it's check off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not check off. Um, so, but yeah, I just, I just like it so much better. And I like, I like the little, the little vagabond crew running around in a bunch of like living in little trailers and having, you know, like one truck be full of cameras and one truck be full of props. It's the circus. It's so much fun. It it's is. so magical, you know. It really is. And did you feel that right away when you started doing oh, yeah. films? Yeah. Loved, loved From that it. First, was that TV movie the first the first Yeah, film work that was that the you first did? thing I did. It was this TV movie called uh, The Perfect Tribute and it was with Campbell Scott and Jason Robards and so um so that was incredible. And then I went back to New York and I was doing um, a couple of plays to pity she's a whore at the public and um, and uh, John and that Patrick. Was, that, that was Val Kilmer was in that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Val yeah, Kilmer wow. and Jared Harris. Wow. It was, yeah, it was incredible. And um, yeah, and then, you know, Basic Instinct came along and I actually had another movie that I was supposed to do. This was, this was so, it, this was a life lesson. I, my first big film was actually supposed to be a movie about, um, it was a movie about Dylan Thomas and I was going to play his, you know, young lover, like, you know, and then, uh, so I get over there and I go to London and I get my hair cut and, you know, into this 50s style. And I, I get over to, uh, you know, Cardiff, Wales, and I'm in a hotel. And I think uh, the Gulf War, we were, it was just surreal time, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm in my hotel room. I think I got sick for a while, but they just kept me in my hotel room. Like I, I was fitted for my costume I was ready to go and every day they would call and say Gene um you know he's not feeling well today so I you know I think you know we'll film tomorrow and I waited and this went wow. on for two two weeks you know Gene hi um I think we'll start tomorrow so just sit tight and uh we'll get back with you just sit tight Next day, same thing. And the movie ended up, for whatever reason, it never went. 
like they pulled the plug and it was not a movie. And wow. I just learned and you, then just You couldn't how, get any anybody to update you, like agents didn't have any information no, or no, wow. No, this was yeah, this was like the early nineties, so it was faxes and yeah. you know, the time change and I just remember Seal, the song Crazy, over and over on you know, on European on the, MTV, you know. It's just like, and we're never going to survive. My hotel room. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, so I learned I learned also how, how fragile movie making is. And yeah. it ain't a movie until you're sitting in the theater with the popcorn. That's right. It's, That's right. Don't count on it for yeah. one second. Anyway, well, I, I would, completely I would say up. it's. It's not a job until you get a call time or they send a car. You know, that's it's like right. Everything can just vaporize. And even then. Yeah. And even even then. then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now the first your your first the big feature role that where you kind of start to pop is basic basic instinct, right? That's right. Yeah. And and what does that do to your life? And well, I mean, what was making the movie like? And I mean, because it was, you know, it was yeah, it was, it really was controversial. A, it, was, it was like it was a, a thing. cultural icon, you know. Yeah, it was a little. It was really overwhelming. It was yeah. really really overwhelming. And um, but I'm you know I'm I'm thankful to Paul Verhoeven. I mean, uh, because by that time I was 27 or 28. So I was kind of a little behind in the, yeah. you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time at school and so I was a little behind. So this kind of, you know, got me caught up. I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was on the map and I was working and, but it was heady. It was a really heady time. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was very overwhelming. Life was moving very fast, but in the meantime, I was always going to Tulsa as much as I could and just mowing my mom's lawn. And I really—that's where <laughs> Tulsa came in handy. Yeah, I, I yeah. just—I remember coming back from Cannes or something, and I got—I'd been around the world, and I'd been promoting promoting the movie, and and I went straight to Tulsa, and I lived yeah. there for like easily three weeks. Just yeah, yeah. Decompressing. Just to get, yeah, yeah, I can see. It. I just, I just talked to Michael Sarah for this show or for this podcast, and and he said after Super Bad, he said it was just so. He went from one weekend to just being whatever he was, eighteen or whatever, and then the next weekend couldn't walk down the street without people yelling out their car window. Yeah. So that he said his normalcy was just being on set, like that was where where he could just find some sense of where people, it, where he didn't feel stared at and he didn't feel, you know. Right, right. It, it just felt normal, like some mm-hmm. semblance of normal life. Yeah, I never thought of yeah. it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you also, and at this time too, this is when the Ben Stiller show happens because you and he were dating, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long were you guys together? Six or seven years. Wow. Yeah. And and being able to do that, was that sort of like a, a bit of a tonic for all the our relationship well no oh. no i mean of, of just kind of like of being from basic instinct and doing you know this serious movie and then be and being in his and his being silly yeah great oh no. yeah because like yeah. i said there was kind of that comedy and like let's get together and make something funny kind of harkened back to my tulsa days so i i i i felt right at home and there was just so many incredibly talented people and i'm met all these new friends and they weren't so 
highfalutin Hollywood, you know, it was like Janine Garofalo and Bob Odenkirk and just like really great people. It It was a really, yeah, it was a great group of people. So, so damn talented. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, which has been born. I just, I just, uh, listened to Bob Odenkirk's book, the, you know, uh, comedy, 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 drama. Yeah. And, uh, and I listen, I listen to it cause I, I, I not only want him to write me a book, I need him to read it to me too. Uh, I bet I, I should read. Yeah. <laughs> Actually Ben texted me and he was reading it and, and I thought I'm either going to read it or I'm going to go on a road trip very soon. And I'm going to, yeah, yeah. cause I think hearing Bob's, Malefluous tones. He's got yes, such a yes. great voice. Right. And the Chicago parts are good with a Chicago accent, too. Right, so, right. Yeah. Um, well, now, you know, you start to really kind of, you know, you're in the firm, you're in water world, you know, you're in big hits and then big sort of like, you know, the just these, you know, water world must have been. It was so magnificent. Such an experience because like <laughs> you're was. never going to be in anything more. Never. And I more knew it. grandiose, no. you know. And yeah. it was kind of the last days of disco in terms of, you know, having before technology really took over and crowd multiplications and, you know, all of that. Yeah. Where you. Yeah, yeah. We had all the people. We and they were yeah. on jet skis. So we had we it was so Cecil B. DeMille. I mean, it was just yeah. so big. And and the atoll that we were working on was the largest at the time, was the largest freestanding floating structure in the world. And it was just so yeah. big. Um and I I was it was such a physical production, you know, just to get yeah. to the set was an act of several boats and Maybe a, like a couple yeah. of laps and and then filming underwater and not just filming in a tank. We ended up having to reshoot and film in a tank, but we were we were filming underwater, like in the middle of the ocean. And the only yeah. reason why we had to reshoot is because it was a little murky under there. I mean, it was right. Right. It was murky. It's the ocean. It's the yeah. ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And and did you have a sense like did you have like. Did it feel like, oh, this is going to be a huge hit? Or did you kind of feel like, eh, I don't know, you know? I had a feeling it was. It was so big and, you know, the cast was incredible. And uh, I had a feeling it was going to be big. There was just so much attention. It was very much like Basic Instinct, where there was all this attention during the filming. And it only sets it up to be at least a spectacle at the very least. Yeah, yeah. And, a, you know, a Universal Studios uh, attraction for many, many years. Which I must admit, I have never been on. <laughs> it's not there anymore. It's well, a, it wasn't on. It was one of those shows. It's like a stunt show. But it just and, like some of those expected things like I've never seen. I'll make an admission. I'll tell you right, something. Right, right. <laughs> I've never seen the movie Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. Wow. I've never yeah. seen the movie Oklahoma. I could yeah. see you uh, many of their songs, but sure, I've never course. seen the movie Oklahoma. And I've wow. never been on the Waterworld ride. So there you go. <laughs> well, I used to see expected. because it was, uh, you could see the puff of smoke that went up from there because there was an explosion. Yes. And I saw it probably, you know, three times a day for 10 yeah. years. I did too. Just from that driving around town. Was a little- the first yeah, like, what the hell's scary. going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just the Mariner. <laughs> yeah. 
Now, uh, you, you, you start in, you start working a lot in television mm-hmm. and it, does that make life easier? Like because yes. of the, yeah. Well, by that and point I'm married and I have a child yeah. and I'm, I'm wanting, I mean, really the last 20 years, I, I have a nice little radius. I'll, I'll get, I'll get out of it a little bit, but if it shoots in LA, sign me up. I mean, I'm much more uh, likely to, to work closer to home than I am to travel. Yeah. Cause yeah. I don't want to be was away. A, that was, that was a conscious thing that you kind of decided. Very much yeah. So. yeah I, how, I have one son and yeah. So how long did a, you take off? Wait, cause you, we did mention that before that you sort of like stopped for a while to, to have it. I've had several um, stoppages, but yeah, this was, um, my son was born in 2002. So, you know, yeah. and I did big love. I started big love when he was three. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was, there were four seasons of that? I think five. Five, yeah. I may be wrong. Yeah. I don't think we did six. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's five. Yeah, yeah. And it was incredible. Are you, are you a... Are you now a plural marriage favorite among the various plural marriage people today? I guess, man, that's yeah, yeah. a whole world. Yeah, it's that's... been it. Well, you know, now it's very hot. Yeah, because there was the under the banner heaven of under the banner heaven a miniseries, and yeah. there's a documentary about the FLDS. So it's oh it's, yeah, it's in the it's, it's never the really gone away though, has it? No, it, it never no. has. But no. it is like I have I have some Mormon friends who it's. It is kind of for them. It's like as if, as if everyone was talking about you know every Christian was hearing people talk about snake handlers. Right, as if right, that, right. That sort of typified you know Christianity was you know snake handlers and people that drank poison uh-huh. you know or faith healing you know so. Um, well, I, I you know I've kept you long enough here that you know I I I wonder. I loved our conversation. Oh, oh thank you so much. I, you um, know, I think this might be my first podcast. No kidding. I think so. I'm well, trying it's all to think. down. It's all downhill from I, here. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, it'll never be as two. it'll never be as good as this. Um, um, that's right. Well, that's right. I do. I do want to ask, because, you know, the, the gimmick with this thing is it's, you know, where do you mm-hmm. come from? Where are you going? And what mm-hmm. have you learned? So so where are you going? What do you do? You, do you have things, uh, you know, like itches left unscratched that you're, you're yeah. hoping to do? Yeah, where am I going? You know, my my son has left for college. So I'm I'm going Where's back going to, into. If I may ask. Uh, don't want to take it out. I'll tell sure. you after no, the words. Don't, yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, at a, he's a smarty pants. Let's just put oh, it that wow. way. He's Ooh, not. La, a, la. Yeah, he's not. Yeah. He rebelled. His act of rebellion was being smarter than his parents. <laughs> you know? And not yeah. doing the business thing, not doing the Hollywood thing. He, yeah. he was a smart, rebellious person that way. That's great. But, um, so, so where am I going? I'm, I'm going back to I'm going back to the basics. I'm going back to acting and and really um I'm just I'm going back. I'm I'm going back full tilt. Yeah. I what can't does that mean, I'm excited. Full tilt? Just I'm I'm not bound by familial responsibilities anymore. So oh. I can travel. I can So you, if you do get that movie in Prague, you'll take it now. That's right. 
I will. Oh, cool. And I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of going back. Yeah. That's where I'm going. I'm going back. Yeah. And just to, to the way that I used to. And I'm also, I don't have to take jobs. I don't have to take acting roles for my son's education. I don't have to take for his, you know, his education, his private school. I don't, I can act for me now. I don't have to act yeah. to necessarily pay for anything. Yeah. 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 Which is That's exciting. Great. It is. It's nice. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, my, I have a 21 year old and a, a 15 year old and I'm, so I kind of, or she's 16, I should say. Um, I'm kind of feeling that same thing. It's where really I did, exciting if you let it yeah, be. You know, yeah, it's not, yeah. some people feel like, oh, I'm so old and I've got a kid who's in college or whatever. And I don't feel that way at all. I feel yeah. so excited about the future and I'm going full tilt saying yes, yes, yes. And yeah. in, in the, and just being in the most positive place creatively. Yeah. And all those good choosy character parts too, you know, are so, Oh boy. So, I'm like, so right. Know, every time, <laughs> every so time right. I've got, to, I've only a couple of times gotten to play like, you know, like a killer, you know, yeah, and yeah. Like, Oh my God. I just, if I could just play a few more killers, I'd be so, so happy. thrilled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, now, uh, then the third one is, what have you learned? I mean, what do you, what would you like people to take away from from your story? What have I learned? Um, just, I, I would say to just be open, you know, just to be open to what life gives you. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd like to think that that's how I carry myself, that I'm just really open to change, open to, to accepting change and in kind of rolling with it, you know, just in terms of business, our business has just imploded and turned on its head between, yeah. you know, the last 15 years and then the last two years, forget about it. It's just, yeah, you don't, it's not you the don't same. Know what any, no. You don't know what anything is. You know, I, I so I'm being open to everything. Yeah, podcasts, yeah. podcasts. You know, they keep you busy. They keep you busy. You know, yeah. you, you can make a little bit of money, but it's also it's also just kind of fun. You know, it's just. You know, I'm open I mean, to I'm, being on podcasts with you. Oh, I think I'm you just don't, gonna. You don't want to. You don't want to host one. I don't think so. I don't think yeah. I would. I was never. I was uh, never like of that. Um, I am a very inquisitive person, but I don't know that I have that in me. Like I said, I've yeah. always been into losing myself, performing. Yeah. I yeah, know. it's funny. It's, it, you know, I'm... well, it yeah, it depends on, you know, what you do. Because you, you can't kind of do anything. That's the nice thing about podcasts. You can do virtually anything. I mean, you're limited in that it's sort of audio mostly. Uh, you know, you can do it on video if you want, but you know, it's like, but then you got to worry about how you look, um, oh, but you can do it, you know, you can do whatever you want and then you just put it out there and it's mm -hmm. just out there and, you know, people either listen or they don't. I'm, I'm glad people listen to this one. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to, I do want to mention uh, what you've got going on right now that, that, you know, make these plugs. Uh, you are on the Amazon series, The Terminal List, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, you stars Chris Pratt. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. 
Uh, it's Chris plays um, a soldier who returns back to the United States from a um, horribly botched mission, um, is suffering from, you know, a lot of trauma. And his reality is a little skewed. He doesn't know what's real and what's not real. And I play um, Lorraine Hartley, Secretary of Defense. Thank you. Oh, nice. Thank nice. you. Thank you. And, a lot of power uh, suits, I bet. It was a lot of suit acting, if yeah, I yeah. may be so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and yeah, it's, uh, cool. yeah, eight, eight part, eight, eight, eight episodes, eight episodes. Cool. And then you also are part of the Gilded Age on HBO, uh, which looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's talk about. I'm not going to be in the second season, though. I'm not. I I may come along at some other point, but uh, this is Sylvia Chamberlain. She she did her job. All right. She did her job. So that was exciting. Thank you for doing your job here uh, and being charming and interesting and coming. I appreciate it. I love talking uh, to you. Oh, thanks, Gene. And I, you know, I hope to see you around you yeah. know, now that the world sort of opening up, although, you know, you can still catch COVID anywhere. Put those masks on indoors, people. Please. Uh, yeah. I do. I still do. Yeah, I do. I do, too. I went to a I went to a baptism that had maybe 150 people in a Catholic church. It was me, a pregnant lady and an ancient old man were the only people wearing masks. And I didn't care. No I was shame like, in your game. I, yeah. I, I <laughs> no, don't care. You no, know? I don't either. I really yeah, don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it just shows you care. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much. Thank Jane, you. And thank, thank all of you out there for listening. And I'll be back next week uh, with uh, the same question, but three more questions. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.